It was the winter of 1922 in Paris, and a young Elizabeth Hadley Richardson was rushing to catch a train to Geneva, Switzerland. Hadley, as she was called, was traveling to meet her husband, an aspiring writer who was on assignment as a correspondent covering the peace conference of Lausanne. There was an editor in Geneva that expressed interest in her husband's work, and her husband asked her to bring his papers with her. After boarding the train and stowing her suitcase, Hadley decided to leave her seat and buy a water for her journey before the train left the station. Upon her return, the suitcase, filled with her husband's work, was gone. Throughout the trip, she cried, realizing that all of her husband's unpublished work was gone forever. When she arrived in Geneva, she told her husband of the tragic loss. And initially, he was not concerned. He told her that he had carbon copies of his work back at their home in Paris. It was then when she told him that she had packed those copies as well. Her husband would later write, quote, I suppose you heard about the loss of my juvenilia. I went up to Paris last week to see what was left and found that Hadley had made the job complete by including all carbons, duplicates, etc. All that remains of my complete works are three pencil drafts of a bump poem, which was later scrapped, some correspondence between John McClure and me, and some journalistic carbons. You naturally would say, good, etc. Don't say it to me. I ain't yet reached that mood. Unquote. But eventually, he did reach that mood. And this whole experience had a profound impact on his life. Within four years, he would publish the first of a series of works that would eventually enshrine him as one of the greatest writers of his generation. That inspiring author's name was Ernest Hemingway. How would you feel if this happened to you? It turns out that these types of setbacks can be exactly what is needed to help inspire us to become better thinkers. Welcome to Thinker's Manifesto, a podcast series that will help you think better. I'm your host, Sean Jackson. Episode 5 creative destruction. In the last episode, we talked about the process of thinking about problems by limiting the scope of the things we want to think about. But we're not done yet. While limiting our thinking to a specific set of issues is important, it is only half of the equation. At some point, we need to actually think of a solution or make a decision. And it is at this point where the concept of creative destruction can help. In economics, creative destruction refers to a theory developed in 1942 by Joseph Schumpeter that forms an important part of Marxian economic theory. His concept refers to the premise that capitalism promotes disruptive forces of economic growth that, in turn, destroy the value of existing structures through the creation of new ones. And while Schumpeter was generally pessimistic about the future of capitalism, as a concept, creative destruction has merit as we consider the process of thinking. 
Let me explain. As many writers will attest, there is value in rewriting your work, taking those initial drafts and ruthlessly editing them over and over again. Or put another way, taking our initial ideas in whatever form and through persistent and often disruptive ways, editing them down to a coherent form. If you've ever seen a picture of a writer at their desk with crumpled pages at their feet, you know what I'm talking about. So let's apply this concept of creative destruction to the thinking process. It starts with thinking creatively. First, you need to find the right creative environment, a place where there's just the right amount of subtle distraction, but without abrupt disruptions. Next, pull out your pen and paper and leave your mobile phone and laptop behind. And then start writing down all of the absurd ideas you have. I mean it. Think of the stupidest ideas you can that may be applicable. Feel free to go on tangents. Feel free to consider the obvious. But by all means, you must write them all down. A study published in 2010 by Indiana University showed that when students wrote their ideas down on paper, they increased their ability to learn. So write them down. Because what you're doing in this stage is accelerating your mental energy to think. Now, one word of caution. Like any activity, physical or mental, you are going to get tired and exhausted. So feel free to take breaks, move around, take a walk. Numerous studies have shown that even very mild physical exertion helps improve your memory and attention. But don't let too much time pass by. Stay engaged and keep that creativity flowing. And once you've reached your creative limit, it is now time for the hard work. Destroying it. This is where you should be asking yourself why about the ideas you've written down. Why would this idea not work? Why is this stupid? Why did I think that? By asking why, you are forcing yourself to re-examine your creative ideas and, in turn, negating or rewriting them, sometimes over and over again. But you are not trying to destroy your creative ideas for the sake of destruction itself. You are trying to refine them and find the connection between them all. What you will find in this process is a common thread of insight buried within those handwritten pages. And it is through this constant revision and editing that an answer will emerge. Now, there is a caveat to this process. The goal of this creative exercise is not necessarily to create an original idea, though that certainly can be a byproduct of the effort. In a 1959 essay by Isaac Asimov, he postulates that new ideas are generated from cross-connecting two or more indirect but related concepts together. You see this in industrial design where poets and engineers collaborate together. But for our creative process, original or even new ideas are not the end result. Instead, the end result should be an idea that is appropriate for the problem you are thinking about, regardless of whether it is new, original, or even just an old idea that fits. To paraphrase Seth Godin, while a meatball Sunday is certainly unique, 
it may not be an appropriate menu item at a vegan restaurant. So as we work through our creative destruction, taking our ideas and finding the common thread in all of them, our end result should be a solution that is applicable to what we are trying to solve. Don't be surprised if you find one or more appropriate solutions to a problem. It just means that you have not yet completed your thinking process. I know that may seem controversial, but consider it this way. At the end of any thought process that leads to a decision or solution, there can be only one outcome. So if you have two or more applicable solutions or ideas, you just haven't refined your thinking enough. But don't despair, because the next stage of the thinking process will help you take these refined ideas and make it extremely easy for you to find the right one. In the next episode of Thinker's Manifesto, we discuss the best ways to collaborate with others to help refine your initial thoughts into tangible ideas that can be acted on. I will share the story of how one company used an ingenious feedback loop that helped it filter fanatics and fools alike, and how you can use this process to refine and improve your own thinking. I hope you will listen. Thanks for listening to Thinker's Manifesto. To learn more and connect with the show, visit thinkersmanifesto.com. If you have any comments, questions, or thoughts about the show, I invite you to email me directly. My email address is sean at thinkersmanifesto.com. And if you are enjoying the show, please consider providing a rating or review wherever you happen to be listening so others will know what to expect. Thank you.